0: Friday the 13th, it's crime without punishment. No! Meet a prisoner who's found a strange loophole in the law.
1: What does this thing do? A leather jacket no! that's a perfect ticket in and out of the jailhouse. In here. An invisible cloak, the perfect murder alibi time and time again. A deadly
0: sight coming up on Friday the 13th, the series. This man won't disappear next week. And you are listening to the Dead TV Podcast on the Radio Horror Network, on the Radio Horror Network's 11th anniversary this month. I am your host, Dr. Chris.
2: And I'm Mr. Zeneca.
0: And tonight, in uh, celebration of the 11th anniversary of Radio Horror, which launched on October 15th, 2007, we have returning to the show with us tonight to talk about The Prisoner, Jim Henshaw. Hey, guys. And of course the mu- back! And of course the music you're hearing uh, ahead of us is uh, Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock, as I felt as though the music from the TV series The Prisoner was not nearly as iconic as The King of Rock and Roll. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow, what an episode, I really have to say.
0: <laughs> In this episode we also feature the return of Johnny, who will become a somewhat of a cast member at some point. Probably next week or the week after we're done recording this. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim, you haven't been just working on the prisoner. Throughout season two you were uh, a story uh consultant, right? Yeah, I,
1: I basically was writing on all the shows. <laughs> so uh yeah, we were uh this one I, I don't remember exactly when we shot it. Um the shows weren't programmed exactly in order of shooting because sometimes, you know, a show has to be longer in post because of effects or whatever so this, I know it was done relatively close to when we shot the uh, Ryan Departure double episode but uh, I don't remember if it was right hard up against it
0: Yeah, okay. the, the Ryan Departure double episode is the next uh, Is uh, we have the Covenant Witches episode next yeah. And then the episode, and then the season three premiere, I thought Ryan left at the end of season two, and then I was like, wait, nope, he's still alive. So he yeah. leaves at the beginning of season three, which is when... Uh, um, uh, Johnny John, takes over. Yeah, Johnny Johnny right. takes over. Uh, the character of Johnny takes over, which is funny enough, the character is Johnny takes over for the departing actor, John D. LeMay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, now, I was watching this episode, and... It's so complex with the amount of uh, scene changes, characters that you have in there, background characters from the prison, the fire and the invisibility. There's a lot of effects in there. So mm-hmm. at what point does the studio say pull it back some?
1: Well, in reality, uh, <laughs> we pulled it back before we shot. Um, the, uh, we knew that the, the big double episode, which was huge, uh, even by our standards, uh, we knew it was coming up, and I think there were two or three episodes prior to that. There was certainly this one uh, where we tried to contain it a little bit. So virtually the entire episode was shot in one location. Um, we had a lot of cast members, but you know they, we were shooting people in and out in a single day because we were in one location. We could just bounce people around. So it was really only our uh, full-time cast that, that went the entire seven days of the shoot. Um, and the effects, while they look pretty difficult, are uh, for the most part are uh, practical effects that we could do on the set. Hmm. So things like windows moving, curtains moving. Um, I think the only real effects were the um, the fire effect, which was really quite simple because it was, it's a simple green screen technique. Okay. Uh, um, and the footsteps in the snow, that kind of thing, oh. or the wet footprints, whatever they were.
0: One of the things yeah. we uh, we like to do right in the very beginning is go over who some of the credits are on this episode, and the one, the sure. director of the episode, Armand Mastereau, I Ma-
1: yeah, Armand Mastriani.
0: Thank you. He's still working today, all the way up to stuff that doesn't even have a release date yet. I'm like, <laughs> wow, this guy's yeah. got a prolific Ar- career in Ar- television.
1: Armand Ar-man is the classic like director you want, you know, in any situation. He, he's a guy that just comes in. He's got a huge amount of energy. Oh, my God. But he comes into any show and, like, figures it out really quick, figures out how to shoot it quickly and easily. Um, he He's just like the producer's best friend. Yeah. And and he he's a smart, <laughs> smart director. And we used him a lot. And uh, I was really lucky to get him on this episode because, once again, we didn't want to, you know, spend money for a lot of overtime and stuff like that. And Armand you know if if you're not going home early there's there's been some kind of major problem
0: um it's just funny again that you know he he started out in the early 80s in television and is still doing television today which is great cuz that can be really hard yeah. media especially with all the changes that have happened in television over the last um, you know, like the the last decade or so, TV has tremendously changed. Where it's always was oh. always in your time period, you know, when you're doing Friday the thirteenth thirteenth looked upon as being like, uh, you're doing television. To like, oh my God, I gotta <laughs> get on television. I gotta be on Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad. You know. Yeah. yeah um,
1: it really is astonishing the transition uh, and transformation that's taking place
0: now something we got to point out because we we do it every single episode and it seems to be ground it's it's grounded into what we talk about in the show uh we're not going to get too much into this but you've also worked on war of the worlds and so has armand and war of the worlds comes up all the time
2: it it comes up in every actor's bio it seems
0: oh yeah uh
1: i mean uh i don't i mean We shared production space with War War of the Worlds. The two shows were were both out of Paramount. Yeah. And uh, we shared production offices, production space, that kind of uh, studio space, uh, that sort of thing. Um, But we didn't really creatively have much interaction with each other. But it was that kind of thing where because people were working on one show, they would inevitably get cast or, or hired to crew the other one whenever they could. So there was a lot of back, uh, cross-pollination between the two two series, and especially in uh, the third season, uh, which you guys haven't gotten to yet, because at that point, uh, Frank Mancuso Jr. took over as executive producer of both both shows, and John Anderson also became an executive producer on both shows. So at that point, there was even more back and forth between them and sharing of things.
0: Now uh the 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 villain of the episode played by uh Larry Joshua, correct? Yep. Um mm-hmm. he uh I remembered him uh I, I knew I, I recognized him in the episode from like Dancing with the Wolves and yeah. I remember him uh mainly from Spider Man because he's the wrestling promoter in Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. My, he, my- He's the yeah. guy that I think I, I believe he's the guy that Peter like snubs when he's just like, why couldn't you hold him? You all you had yeah. to do was hold him for me. And of course, that decision obviously affects you know transforms the character Peter. later on. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. great power and responsibility with the death of his uncle Ben. But the yeah, but that's uh, you know the wrestling promoter. Uh, I was like, yeah, jeez.
1: Yeah, my my favorite role that that Larry played. Uh, I, I like the stuff in in uh, Dances with Wolves, but he's in an, uh, another Kevin Costner movie. Uh, called For the Love of the Game, right? where he plays the guy in the bar watching uh, Costner's pitcher pitch a perfect game. And he's an utter Yankees fan and just hates uh, Costner's team and character and everything else. <laughs> and it comes to this grudging respect for him from just watching it on television at this airport bar. And I, he's just remarkable. He's a really, really nice actor. And I- one of those guys that you know, just keeps working because he's he's so good at what he does.
0: Both those movies were directed by Sam Raimi, who I, at the Rock and Shot convention this weekend, I met his brother Ted Raimi. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, Sean, McMahon, Mc, sorry, Sean McCann in the episode yep. as well. He mm-hmm. was, uh... oh, shoot, I just lost him.
2: Oh, he was in Tommy Boy, uh, The Best Christmas Party Ever, which was a recent movie.
0: Yeah,
1: he uh, Sean was pretty well known. Uh, was a very well known stage actor in Toronto, but he uh, he was also on a television <laughs> series called Night Heat mm-hmm. as a regular, and uh, I think that's where he probably where we most knew, knew him from up there was was Night
0: The prison warden is still alive to this day as well, um, and he's still currently working too, all the way through twenty seventeen.
1: <laughs> actors don't quit they just die it's
0: just <laughs> the reality of the profession well he was and also you know, it, it, he was it, it, also Warden like, Hobbs too so is that the same character yeah.
1: I, I don't know that's or funny or somebody or they said i mean i've had when i was acting i had instances where people said we we just called this character man 1 but we need a name what do you want to call him so he may have used it himself who knows
0: yeah, in the in the episode that we're talking about, the prisoner he's just called the warden. But in the electrocutioner, he's called Warden Hobbs. So I'm wondering, oh, okay. did Warden Hobbs die in the electrocutioner, Mr. Zetica? Not that I remember. Oh, maybe it's the same prison. Yeah, I mean this. Uh, yeah, it could be. This town, Curious Goods inn seems to have a prison that because they can get to it pretty quickly from the shop. Well, <laughs> and
1: in reality, we uh, uh, the prison that we used was is called the Don Jail, which is the oldest uh, prison in Canada. I think oh, or okay. close to it. And it's right in downtown Toronto, and at the time it was being renovated because, uh, I, I don't remember exact reasons, but for a couple of years it was closed, so it could be that, I, I don't know when the other episode was shot exactly, but.
2: Yeah, I have I have some dates here. Oh, okay. uh, the uh, Don Jail was built in 1864, and remained open until 1977, when it was closed due to overcrowding and its reputation for being a hellhole. Yeah. Uh, An east wing built in the 1950s was still active at the time of this episode filming, and right. the east wing wasn't shuttered until 2013.
1: Yeah, we uh, we shot in the old part. In fact, most of what we shot was across the hall from where the last hangings in Canada took place, the last uh, executions.
0: The uh, other our other female uh, actress in this episode, besides of course Roby, uh, played by Belinda Metz. Um, mm-hmm. Was again going to uh, uh, War of the Worlds. She was on that for four episodes, uh, mm-hmm. and she had been on the show pre- uh, previously in the Playhouse as Sylvia, and she'll be in Spirit of Television as Jessica coming up. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, Belinda uh, was actually a rock and roll star. Oh in, wow! Uh, in Canada, she had a couple of big hit records, and at some point started to transition. I, I think she was hired initially to play a singer on a couple of shows. And transitioned into acting and uh has continued and she's still around as a, a really terrific actress and she worked with us a lot i i think primarily because um probably in the not the term you want to use today, but back then everybody thought of Belinda as just a great broad
0: she uh. was
1: just a wonderful person to work with she was just like you know sassy and fun and and uh, which is really pretty close to her personality and just a lot of fun to have around and, and really worked hard. So uh, I think that's why she worked a lot with us.
0: Yeah, I kept her alive on Kung Fu The Legend Continues because she was on that for that's 32 right. episodes as a recurring character. Detective Jody Powell, I remember her from. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, yeah. we can get right into the episode. Uh, oh, there's Jim... one more
2: person, one more person oh, I who? want to talk about. Okay. Okay, um, Arkwright, sure. uh, mm-hmm. played by Leslie Carlson. Right. I instantly recognized him from A Christmas Story. He was the Christmas tree vendor.
0: Oh, right.
2: right. He's got a huge filmography, and yeah. uh, his last thing was the Murdoch Mysteries on TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So. Okay.
1: Yeah, Les was another like uh, stage actor in Toronto who just <clears throat> never stopped working, and, and once television started to take hold in Toronto, he just continued that. Really, really solid actor, a lot of fun to work with.
2: Great, great. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to oh, make sure to on, ask
0: you. Oh, and, and Zedica, he was also on, Mr. Zedekai, he was also on Babar.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on Babar, too. Yes,
0: <laughs> Everyone's on Babar and War of the Worlds. It's the two frickin' shows that keep coming up. And Mutant X. Mutant X, Babar, War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
2: Right. Okay, one question that I definitely wanted to ask you during this interview here was, um, since John DeLemay is leaving at the very beginning of season three, were there Mm -hmm. any stories that you wanted to tell but couldn't because of his departure from the show?
1: No. Um, We knew very early in season two, maybe five or six shows in, that he was departing and spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to to move him out. And I don't want to give away how we did it, but uh, we we really toyed with like doing something very different from what anybody else does when when a character leaves a series. Usually it's just like, okay, let's kill him off. Or, you know, he's just going to visit mom and we never see Mm -hmm. him again, whatever it is. But we just sort of went, this is a really well-loved character. We got to give him a great send off, but whatever we do, we can never bring him back. Oh. And that became, okay, how do we deal with this? And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the episode yet, but I
2: have not. I've been trying to keep a blank slate. You know, only the ones that I saw during its original run. (laughs) I assume well, I assume that name. he
0: just went into the witness protection program, changed his name to Steven, <laughs> knocked up a uh, waitress at a uh, di- sorry, a TV newswoman at a diner who has a mom for a waitress and then discovered that her baby that his baby mama is in fact the cousin of serial killer Jason Voorhees. <laughs> yeah. But that's just and my fanfic that I wrote.
1: <laughs> I I have to say that uh with all the hundreds of characters who have departed television series for one reason or another, nobody has ever copied what we did. And uh, that's just... Uh, I don't remember exactly where the idea came from because there was an awful lot of, what if we do this, what if we do that? But at one point, somebody suggested it, and I think the room went silent, and we all went, that would be so cool.
2: Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> what, um, was it... Uh, did you? Did anyone find it really funny that he popped up in the Friday the 13th franchise in a major way, like, two, three years after he left?
1: Oh, no, not at all. I mean, uh, John left on very good terms with everybody involved, and I think everybody who worked on the series totally understood where he was coming from,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, there was no animosity, no no feeling of, you know, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like it is now with Roseanne or, you oh, know, boy. any of those other kind of things that are going on it It really was um you know, thanks for a couple of years of just astonishingly good work and uh anything we could do to help you in the future
0: awesome oh
2: that's excellent
1: awesome yeah, it was
0: where did the idea to come to because uh, we 'cause we're gonna kinda go through this episode a little differently, just um okay, uh, just because we are double uh recording tonight, so sure. um. Uh, I thought this would be the best way to utilize your time as well, to not just do a, sure. like a, go through an entire episode synopsis, Mr. Seneca, but also kind of go through certain scenes of the episode by asking Jim questions. How does that sound?
2: Uh, that sounds great with me.
0: Okay. Um, and then Jim, you want st- to if you want to stick around for the season finale of the Covenant of Witches, you can as well. Ooh, cool. Okay, cool. All right. So this is we'll we'll we'll, we'll do some question and answering for uh, the the prisoner since you wrote it, but in the Covenant of Witches, we will actually go through the episode synopsis. Okay, okay, so my first question is, uh, how uh, when Johnny was introduced a couple episodes ago, did you guys know by the prisoner that that was going to be the replacement for, for Ryan?:
1: I think we probably did. Um, I know that uh, Frank had seen, um, and I don't know the exact timing of these movies, but he had uh, uh, Steve had done a movie, a surfing movie in in LA around the time that Frank was doing Back to the Beach and I think he became aware of him he may have even tried to cast him or looked at him seriously for, for a role in Back to the Beach and uh, so he was kind of on the radar and we had seen stuff from him um, and we were thinking well he's going to be a guest star at some point and, and all of that but by the time he came in on uh, whatever the pool cue episode was called um uh, was wedding in something I can't remember uh wedding in
2: blues wedding, wedding blues.
1: And blues wedding yeah. wedding bell blues, yeah, um by the time he came in that we knew this was kind of an audition to see how he fit with everybody else, and um he passed, and I think this was his next time with us. I know he did two or three episodes um but uh. This was kind of like the graduation thing where it was like, okay, this guy can work for us, so let's see what else he can do.
2: Also, in this episode, it seems that he's passing this uh, almost like a spiritual hazing ritual with one of his family members or close friends dies. And in this case, it's his father that that passes due to Mm -hmm. this cursed object influence. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it just seems that everyone that, that tries to collect these cursed objects is therefore doomed to lose someone that they love.
1: Yeah, I think that was a thing that we, we kind of, uh, whether it was conscious or not, we always wanted to make sure that whoever was coming into the team or into an, a thing where they were assisting the team knew what the stakes were. And, mm-hmm. In other words, you are not dealing with something that's easily defeated, and it's going to try and hurt you somehow. And, that makes uh, sense <laughs> yeah it was like you're you're not playing with with people who who take things lightly
0: the uh bomber jacket no, I... was uh, uh very different and used to great effect to be like um i i have i've been a little critical sometimes of like how the object in question is used and i've thought as though it's been either, it, I thought as though it's been either far-fetched or it's been like a spot-on and this is great considering right. that they um, you know, are supposed to be uh, invisible and that turns them invisible. Right. Yeah.
1: And just I, the
2: fact that this object passed from inmate to inmate and yet one has the malintent in their heart and the other it was perfectly harmless to.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways it, it was the, the classic kind of, here's how things work and here's how they work in terms of you have to be somebody who wants to embrace the evil and there's also a great moment in this that uh that I always really liked where he he stabs another guy and rubs the blood on his jacket and nothing happens and and it's like no you got to kill somebody
2: <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah that was when he stabbed Johnny towards
1: exactly. the end of the episode yeah and i i just always loved that moment because it it was like you know, even the guy using the jacket didn't quite get it until you know it it really came down to the short strokes
0: the, the, what, one was, the we, what
2: was the inspiration for the bomber jacket itself the kamikaze tie in
1: i i actually I don't think the kamikaze story that we told is is accurate about uh you know they they were told that they were invisible until yeah they, they hit the ship. I think where it came from and and where we may have started with the thing was uh, American uh, fighter pilots and bomber pilots in World War II wore a a jacket that had like a a nationalist Chinese flag on the back with with some Chinese characters that explained who they were and how to help them and all of that. And they carried stuff in the jacket that, you know, if they ever crash landed in China, somebody would take them to the, the good guys instead of the bad guys. And um, it started with that, and then at some point we we changed it, and I don't remember exactly why, but the feeling was that that jacket was supposed to make people invisible to the Japanese by appealing to the Chinese, And but at some point that maybe became too complicated to explain, or yeah. it, mm. it's a part of World War II nobody knows anything about, or whatever it was, whereas the... The Kamikaze Fighter thing was was is pretty well known.
2: Yeah, you... it's it's pretty simple, but I know cool. that the costume itself is different than what was shown in the episode. The episode is more of a almost a U.S. styled
1: uh, yeah, Exactly. Jacket. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that was how we melded the two. Okay. Uh, because uh, I mean, quite honestly, uh, somebody in a prison wearing a Japanese, you know. Uh, Kind of labeled jacket probably yeah. wouldn't go over too well. Probably not. Yeah, what but did... that's one of those things you just kind of forgive.
0: Now I've never owned a Japanese kamikaze jacket, but I do own a flight jacket. Um, I own a cool. flight. I own a flight jacket for my um, Indiana Jones cosplay. Oh,
1: okay. Because he has <laughs> a.
0: Uh... It's not obviously an original because that I would could probably pay my rent with an original World War uh, yeah. One. Uh, flight jacket but uh it is a recreation of a world war one flight jacket which is what the jacket is worn by indiana jones because obviously right. indiana jones is yep. before world war ii people just so you're clear right. about that it would not be a world war ii flight jacket it'd be a world war one <laughs> flight jacket someone had to put you know i someone even had to point that out to me years ago because i was looking for world war Two flight jacket anyway long story short right. i own a world war one flight jacket uh but not a world war Two one do you own a flight jacket mrs Etica? do you own one jim I owned a couple of
1: motorcycle jackets. I don't think I ever owned a, uh, a flight jacket.
0: That's kind of like that, yeah.
2: My husband actually owns a uh, bomber jacket. It's it's older style. Like, he got it at a thrift store a long time ago. But he also uses it for his Indiana Jones cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
0: great! Um, it is. Uh, it was really great to see Johnny back in the episode to help. Uh, Give us some uh, some more to his character, and of course, he gets the death mm-hmm. of his dad, which is like, well, he fit right in at Curious Goods because you can't love anybody on that show.
1: That's
0: um, true. <laughs> everyone who's related to anybody from Curious Goods seems to die. Uh, I don't remember. Again, did we get Roby's parents or sorry, Mickey's parents eventually in season three? Do we? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay, so uh, they're they're still. Alive I think there,
1: there's communication between her and one of her relatives. It might have been her mom, but. I don't think it was major in any way.
0: Okay, but yeah, she's always uh, referred to as Aunt Carol's daughter, right? Right. Okay. Um, <coughs> excuse me. What's the death count for this episode, Mr. Zeneca? Uh,
2: we've got a body count of seven.
0: Yes. Uh, The Invisible... Kind of reminds me of... Uh, have you ever seen the movie Hollow Man? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah. who this serial killer reminds me of, because the original Invisible Man was not nearly as creepy or as sadistic as oh. Kevin Bacon's character in Hollow Man, where he... You know, oh, ogles women and then rapes a woman and kills a whole bunch of people. I mean, really vicious, sadistic guy.
1: Yeah. Do you, um Do you know when Hollow Man was made?
0: Uh, two thousand, two thousand one, I believe. Oh, early okay. two thousand. Uh, let's just say early two thousands. So I don't have it on IMDb right now, but yeah, because yeah. I don't remember anything
1: being an inspiration for the episode beyond you know, we've done vampires. We've yeah, we we've, we've done vampires. We've done this. We've done that. Uh, what about the invisible man? You know, I think was probably the conversation before we got started on it.
0: Yep, in the um, year two thousand. Yeah. Okay. Also started yeah, Elizabeth I... Shue and Josh Brolin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, and if anyone listening wants to learn a little bit more about kamikaze pilots, uh, there is a movie out which I will have to give a disclaimer that, you know, some people say it's a pack of lies, but it's a dramatized version of a humanistic style of looking at Kamikaze Pilots it's a movie called Eternal Zero and it's from the novelist Naoki <coughs> Hayakuta so uh, for a grain of salt as for the truth of the thing but it does have the authentic costuming for the Kamikaze Pilots and a little bit of their uh, you know, uh, military structure right
0: definitely alright well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back for a coven of darkness here on the Radio mm-hmm. Horror Network a witch queen seeks the ultimate soul of black magic power. This is the witch's
1: ladder. And woe unto the mortal
0: man. Here is Ryan Dalian.
1: Who mm. stands in her way.
0: May your soul be tortured. No! Mm.
1: Until the witch's ladder is returned. No.
0: Ryan fights no. for his soul. Get him! On Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, the spells on you. Hey everyone, Dr. Chris from the Radio Horror Network here wanting to talk to you a little bit about a documentary that I am actually involved with uh, called In Search of Darkness, the definitive 80s horror documentary. You can go right now to kickstarter.com and type in In Search of Darkness and pledge a donation if you wish to help the documentary. The documentary's goal is $32,000 and we have exceeded that currently at $63,000. Uh, this will be a horror community documentary with it's going to encompass every piece of 80s horror movie not television but movies that we can possibly get into it and some of the talent that we have currently attached to it include mick garris lisa wilcox robbie morgan stuart gordon gordon kelly marini lloyd kaufman joe dante adrian barbeau tom holland brian yuzna sean cunningham d wallace jeffrey combs and many more just to name a few again go to kickstarter.com for in search of darkness the definitive 80s horror doc and make a donation now
1: Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction in the fields of bodies burning.
0: And we're back on the Dead TV podcast with Covenant of Darkness. And Mr. Zedeka has the episode synopsis for us. Okay.
2: Coven of Darkness originally aired June 12th, 1989. A witch fights to gain, pow- uh, gain a powerful occult symbol using a helpless Ryan in the process.
0: And the music that you're hearing behind me is from Black Sabbath's War Pigs, mainly because the opening of that song definitely has a uh, relevance to the episode in says. question. But the <laughs> uh, Coven of Darkness, such a cool title, Jim. It was.
1: I keep thinking of the country song, Coven of Dark or Robert... Uh, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, <clears throat> Gordon Lightfoot had, had a song called Ribbon of Darkness. Cool. but uh, Which may have been how we started it, and then it became Covenant of Darkness.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the director of this episode was George Bloomfield. You got any interesting <laughs> tidbits about him? He unfortunately passed away in 2011.
1: Yeah, George was a great guy. I had worked with him a lot on Adderley, and George was really one of those directors who... Uh, was my one of my favorites in in directing television because he directed everything like it was a feature film, hmm. and uh, the the major constriction uh, constriction in uh, in doing television is time. You just don't have the time to do you know the big stuff. And the first time that George worked on Adderley, um, he came in for his first day and he started working and all of a sudden I'm getting these weird vibes and messages from the crew. Like we, it's, we've been shooting for two hours and we don't have our first shot yet. And, you know, in most television, you're going for 30, 40, you know, maybe more setups a day. And he hadn't gotten one in the first two hours. And we were going, Oh God, we made a mistake. We hired a feature director. He's, he's going to kill us. And, uh, But he he got his first shot, which was a very complicated, moving, tracking shot, uh, with a lot of background activity and everything else. And then by lunchtime, we were back on schedule, because he just banged off everything in between. And I watched him do the same thing for his first shot in the afternoon, really long, complicated, you know, uh, shot of one kind or another, and then would bang out everything in between. And At that point, it was like, I don't understand why this guy is shooting this way, but when you saw it cut together, over the seven days of the shoot, he would have uh, 14 shots, which were very much feature-length, cinematic kind of things, and then everything else was tight twos and close-ups to get through the dialogue, and it looked like a feature film, and When we, I I think he had done an episode of this beforehand. I think he did an episode in the first season. I'm not sure of that. Um, But George was also somebody we worked with two or three times because he just
0: made everything look so good. Uh, quick question, because we keep running into this uh, a lot, and then Mr. Zeneca is going to go through the uh, episode with you in the very beginning. <laughs> we keep running into episodes that are written by one person who has no credit to their name whatsoever beyond Friday the 13th, the episode in question. Where are these people yeah. coming from? Like, Wendy Rodriguez wrote this one, and a couple episodes ago, we had somebody else that was just, that's it, their one IMDb credit is this one episode that they wrote. Uh, are these uh, spot writers, the like intern writers? Are they writers that maybe didn't want their name yeah. associated <laughs>
1: No. Um, well, it might be the latter. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, the no. show wasn't that uh, bad most of the no, time. I don't, think, I don't think we ever had anybody uh, take a pseudonym or non-diplume or anything like that. Um, back during the, this era of television, and certainly in Canada, um, we didn't have writers' rooms. We didn't have the usual gang approach to things that, that takes place now. Um, where you have five, six, eight, ten writers working on the same episode and working on the same series. Um, What we used to do is we would hold pitch sessions uh, two or three months before we were going to shoot. Um, I would know how many episodes I was writing, and sometimes those were slotted specifically in the season. But then we went out to freelancers. And they would pitch story ideas to us, or we would find a writer we liked and pitch them a story that we wanted them to do. And they would come back with a first or second draft, and at that point, we would take it over in-house. I don't think we ever wrecked anybody's script. We might have done... There's one that we might have done that to. Do you remember which one? (laughs) uh, I do, and uh, it was one of those things where... for reasons that I probably still don't understand. We changed everything two or three days before we started shooting and we made big mistakes in changing it. And everybody, by the time we were looking at dailies was going, yeah, we shouldn't have done that, but it was too late. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want to put any blame on anybody, but uh, I, I, we really deserved uh, a, a couple of actors and we probably heard a director a little bit. But they all survived and went on to good careers, so, you know, Mm -hmm. no harm done in the long run.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, But, you know, there are just things that happen sometimes in series where it's like you're you're dealing with something that's a little bit touchy or a little bit edgy, and it's like, are we going to go too far here? And you pull back, and you pull back too far
0: what 's more heavier yeah. or edgy than human sacrifice on uh, <laughs> on, uh, on an altar of satanic upside down pentagram crosses black masses witches <laughs> kind I of, what it. Is, this, this one this wasn't the uh, the error of I butt hurt about everything on the internet and i 'm going to go on Twitter and complain and whine about things that upset me today <laughs> in media. I know. I'm not talking about <laughs> I, anyone in particular. I'm just talking about anyone that went online, bitched, moaned, and complained about shit that, that is made of fiction that hurt yeah, you. Believe me, I know. Yeah, Mr. Seneca, yeah. you got the uh, you got to go through a bit of a plot line with uh, with Jim while I take a step back, real quick. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so in in basically the course of the episode, for any of our listeners that haven't seen this season finale, we go from uh, understanding that there is a coven a rivalry between the black coven and uh, the coven that Jack is associated with, the right-hand path. Right. And and during this, like, we see, uh, right in the beginning, like, the black mass with the athame and the pricking of the finger and bloodletting and and y- the use of one of the mystical tools, the sculptor's tool. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it seems that this tool only just scopes a... Uh, a figure of the person, so that they could torture the person from afar, because uh, that's what they they use those little sculptures for with Ryan. Right. Uh, in the script, or was there any idea that that this tool does anything more than that? Uh, it seemed to be kind of a an aiding tool, but not like along the lines of the other cursed objects that we've seen so far, where there's right. definitely a death has to be involved.
1: Right. To be honest with you, I don't remember exactly where that whole thing came from, and I think we may have been playing with uh the idea of of pulling somebody into evil as opposed okay. to having them embrace it um certainly with the whole thing that takes part place later on with with Ryan removing an item from the uh from the vault uh-huh. you get into the fact of something has has taken him beyond what he would normally do and um
2: yeah that was a heck of a performance i mean as soon as as soon as the the needles are going in ryan he's grabbing his head he's sweating like like all of these invisible forces upon him like that was (laughs) some really great acting i -hmm. thought yeah oh my god and, and the second object that we run into is called the Witch's Ladder, which in right. the very beginning of the episode is given willingly by the right-hand path so that it could be put in the vault. Right. Um, and then the entire episode deals with the leader of the Black Coven, Liza, trying to get the, um, the Witch's Let Ladder back, back. Yeah. so that their power can increase and et cetera, et cetera. They can rule the world. Right. And, and during all of this, you see, like the the sickness just take over Ryan. It, he's just drawn and and yeah. like the sallow cheeks, like the makeup job they did on him, although subtle. Like even my son was saying, like he doesn't look good. Like yeah, like, it, it, it was it was amazing transformation through the episode.
1: Yeah, and again, I think this was us trying things with him which would come into play in a, in a much greater effect in in the double episode. Mm-hmm. So we were getting close to what we knew he had. I mean, we, by then, we would have known exactly what we were going to ask of him uh, in in the double episode. And so it was like, okay, let's see what he's got. Let's see how far we can push this. Uh, do we have to support it with makeup? Do we have to support it with effects? Or can mm. he carry it? And I think he proved he could carry it.
2: I think so. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do have some information for our listeners you know, that aren't familiar with what the object is that is in the episode. A witch's ladder is a uh, otherwise known as a witch's garland. And what it is, is that the spellcaster, anyone can do it, you know, and I recommend if you have a a wish or a a need to actually do this because it's one of those safe magical practices, but you take a rope or three ropes, uh, a ribbon or any sort of long thing, you know, that you could tie a knot in, and with each knot you think about your intention, you think about your wish, and you tie the knot. And sometimes, like, as in this episode, we have those knots being threaded with beads and feathers and, you know, charms and stuff like that on uh, Uncle Lewis's uh, witch's ladder. But if you want to do this at home, you can take your objects, gather them up. And when you actually say the chant, and here's the chant, is, By knot of one, the spell is begun. By knot of two, it cometh true. By knot of three, so mote it be. By not of four, this power I store. By not of five, my will shall drive. By not not of six, this spell I fix. By not of seven, events all leaven. By not of eight, it will be fate. By not of nine, what's done is mine. So, doing that, you can do it without a magical circle. It's very simple. And uh, if you wanted to cause bad ill to someone, you'd think bad thoughts and then put this uh, witch's ladder underneath their bed. If you want good thoughts for yourself or good things, you just put it where, you know, it's going to be present in your life. This object, this witch's ladder, needed to be held by the participant in order to add its power to those little sculpture dolls for the the big coven's main, you know, killing spree. (laughs) But, you know... In a nutshell, that's what a witch's ladder is. It's very powerful, uh, but it's very simple, and it's very safe.
0: So you can do it. You know, it's funny that we're recording this episode right on the eve of, uh, I believe it's actually the day we're recording this episode, for anyone listening, is the 14th of October, um, uh, which is also the, uh, which, uh, let me start over. It's Sunday, and I believe Charm debuts, uh, re-debuts on the CW tonight.
2: Oh come on, that's not real magic. <laughs> no, but that's the
0: uh, most relevant thing of witches in the in any type of pop culture zeitgeist going on right now that I can think of. There's like no witches kind of come and go every so often. They're not as like a staple in the uh, horror industry in a in a in a permanent way, such as such as zombies, vampires, and werewolves are.
2: Well, and... there is a reason for that. The more people get into a new agey or witchy or Wiccan or any of number of pagan and religions the less it becomes scary so it's less effective
0: yeah um and if you're in massachusetts like i am you're of course uh knee deep in hopefully going to salem because we are in the heart of uh witch season of halloween stuff with witches and, and, and yeah there's parties all over there man uh, yeah definitely i'll be in salem actually uh, in about a week or whatever for a big event so
2: Ah, wish I could go. <laughs>
0: you, you should, I, I told you you should come. Maybe, you know. I know.
2: I, I just can't logistically. You
0: can do whatever it is you want. I can't. I don't want to hear I can't. <laughs> in the Venom movie, he says, I can't. I don't want to know what that is. I can.
2: Yeah. Well, in this episode, Mickey actually starts uh, harnessing her witchy powers, her mm-hmm. natural occult power, which she didn't know she had. Yeah. And... Uh, you know she starts she says, you know to save ryan that that w- white magic needs to take place, you know Jack is saying that and and she's going along with it um I don't think that this uh witchy style for her seemed to really w- feel natural,
1: yeah, is
0: mm-hmm.
2: that something or it was just kind of dropped from the show?
1: My recollection of it is that we tried it and we looked at it and said, do we really want?" are characters um, using supernatural forces to fight supernatural forces? Or do we want to keep it in the realm of they're just decent people who are trying to stop evil? And and I think we just tried it and then backed away from it. I know that Roby wanted to do more, and I think we tried a couple of other things in season three, but we never went this far again. It's the, yeah. the way that I recall it, anyway.
2: Yeah, Jack's occult knowledge and the way Jack kind mm-hmm. of throws out those little occult bits seems like second nature to him. But yes. for, for Mickey, because it was something new to her and then she's basically just reading over and over from a book, it, right. it just really didn't feel that uh, natural to me.
0: Yeah. Mm, yeah, it's very it just seemed a bit forced and then just all of a sudden oh you know, nope yeah you know uh,
2: but you know we try things and then it doesn't work and that's cool like mm-hmm. on uh,
0: Buffy the Vampire Slayer they gradually introduced uh, Willow as a witch
2: that's true but yeah. they yeah. did a lot of things in that show yeah
0: werewolves and stuff. no but I mean <laughs> yeah okay but what I'm talking about though is that the gradual progression of like them having a full-blown witch on the show happened extremely slowly and this was just yeah. like, read this, Mickey, and you'll become a witch, and we'll light some candles and, and put a shroud around you.
1: Yeah, as I, as I say, it, 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 my recollection of it is that it was like, well, let's try this. And and we just weren't happy with it. And, and I think, you know, at, at some kind of base level, we all went, you know what? We're using uh, uh, supernatural forces to fight supernatural forces, and that's just not something a lot of people can relate to. It, it made our characters a little bit more superhuman or whatever, and just keeping them as as decent people who just want to fight evil seemed to be yeah. good, of course.
0: Um, yeah, Mr. Annika, did you also happen to notice Ryan is wearing the same shirt he wore last episode or the episode before?
2: uh the Batman one? No. <laughs> No.
0: No, Johnny. I don't, I don't, I
2: don't recognize his shirt. Johnny
0: wore the Batman e- shirt in his first episode. I'm not talking about oh, that's Johnny. Johnny. Ryan's okay. wearing the same lion shirt from an episode ago.
2: Well, I do believe that he has a dresser drawer. He's going to repeat outfits.
0: <laughs> they don't normally do that on television, though. On television, a lot of the outfits change.
2: <laughs> I've yeah. seen Ryan's room, it's not that big.
1: No, you you do do a thing script-wise where you're you're breaking down script days uh, so that every department knows that if you want to change a shirt, you can only do it on this, you know, from this scene to this scene or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know that we were ever scrimping on the costume budget, but I mean, or maybe he just liked that shirt. I don't know.
0: It's just oh, not, it's not the first time I've seen somebody on the show wear like the same outfit before, and I'm just wondering yeah. if like the costume budget was uh you know very restrained because you are on television yeah. like you know wardrobe has changed like every episode almost yeah, yeah
1: well exactly.
2: John delavey did say you know he he posted uh onto his uh Facebook page not too long ago about like, hey, take a look at this shirt, recognize this shirt, and it's like yeah, so he, he did keep some of the shirts, and uh, and he did say that yeah, there's probably multiple episodes that these shirts have appeared in, because he did kind of fight for the ability to wear some of those shirts.
1: So I think that's your, your answer. It was one of his faves.
2: One of his favorites. Yep. Uh, so also in this episode, we do have some special effects with the lightning that comes out mm-hmm. from... The witch's ladder and, and Ryan's hand when in the final mm. battle.
1: Mm. Right.
2: Now we have a total body count of six for this episode, and that leaves our season body t- count at a hundred and six.
0: Wow. <laughs> You've killed more people, Jim, than Jason Voorhees. I know. I know. No. This episode got pretty bloody, too. And I remember something oh, yeah. you said at the very beginning when we first had you on, that the show producers wanted to do something less bloody. And it's like there's been a lot of episodes this season where people are getting, like, covered yeah. in blood. Well, no, but that was uh,
1: that was part of the process as well. It was like um, <coughs> we we were trying mostly to to give a better character and psychological grounding to to what was going on um but that didn't mean that you didn't want to spill a little from time to time and i i mean i don't i think we did a little bit more in season 3 where um we had a couple of shows in season 3 where we were going you know, I, I think we're just going to get one from the studio on this one because, you know, blood was all going all over the place. But, uh, no, it, it, it was like, you know, you still had to, you know, you want to make an omelet, you still got to break some eggs. And uh, when you're making a horror omelet, it can be s- scary, like, you know, The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, the but blood you gotta, splatter everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but you got to have some other stuff in there, too.
0: The black-robed uh, witches over the altar. There was a movie for TV movie back in the eighties. Um, they got remade in the two uh, thousands. It was the uh, the something of Sarah, the seduction. No, not the seduction of Sarah. The uh,
2: the exorcism. Of, no.
0: No. It, it starred. Um, God, it's gonna kill me now because again they remade it and I remember they remade it with Summer Glow of uh, you know, from uh, Firefly. Uh give me one second. I had it up. Hold on. I, I can I can pull it up in like two seconds as soon as I get to her IMDb. Okay. Um and I was gonna say the uh the original movie uh and the remake both reminded me of it, but fuck freaking computer is being really slow. The initiation of Sarah. The original initiation of Sarah and the remake the initiation of Sarah.
1: I missed them both.
0: Oh, okay. It was a made. It was a remake of a 1978 uh, made-for-TV movie about a college student uh, who, who uh, a freshman at college, discovers like a covenant of witches at a rival uh, sorority house, and she has to decide right. if she's going to be like a good witch or a bad witch. Um, and a lot of the imagery in both was very much the same. Like this episode, um, the original episode also starred uh, Morgan Fairchild. The original movie starred Morgan Fairchild, and she's in the remake oh, okay. too.
2: Yeah, I, I hadn't seen that one either. Yeah,
0: yeah it's one of those uh, made-for-TV movies that are, uh, whether or not, you know, hit or miss. It was, I think it was an AMC Family Channel movie for, for Halloween the year it came out.
1: So not that bloody is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, no, definitely definitely
0: <laughs> not that bloody. Um, but uh, it is definitely worth checking out if you have uh, never seen it and want a really good laugh or a really bad laugh. Yeah, witches
1: have not been well-served in, in movies. You
0: know, uh, Except for the, movie I, the craft. I was told the craft is the most like spot-on realistic uh, oh, I'm with sure the there, magic. Yeah. Oh,
2: I mean, yes, it, um, if you take away their actual powers, <laughs> um, then yes, uh, it is basically just a nature-based religion, and there really is no white or really is no black. It's basically upon the intent of the person. And all the holidays or the celebrating of the seasons and the cycles of the moon. It's not that exciting, really. You can change a lot from your environment, but most of it is, you know, the the type of matrix type of change where, you know, Mm -hmm. there is no spoon. And coming to that realization that we're all just in the soup of atoms and we can change what we want based on energy because energy is neither created or destroyed. You know, there's a lot of stuff, but it's not as flashy as anything in the pop culture witch aura
1: yeah
0: i get to see a little bit of the um upcoming uh blu-ray cover for the craft coming out soon uh for anyone who's a big fan of the craft and all of the witch stuff in it excellent movie still holds up today
2: and you know my my retro uh drive-in movie theater out here the mahoning drive-in is actually showing the craft on the big screen uh on uh,
0: October 27th. Oh, what's the double feature yeah. with?
2: Uh, it is paired with I Know What You Did Last Summer for a 90s Horror Weekend.
0: Oh, that <laughs> sounds frickin' awesome. Jim, we're going <laughs> to drive out to Pennsylvania and join Mr. That's Zeneca at the drive-in. That uh, sounds yeah. flipping sweet.
2: They're showing Scream 1 and 2 on Friday, <laughs> and oh. then The Craft, and oh. I Know What You Did Last Summer on saturday
0: i found out while i was at rock and shock this weekend that um there was the local drive-in um in the woods by the way they do a drive-in in the woods was showing it with uh Ooh. the producer of of it the three all three hours of the made for tv movie wow yeah that's awesome i love going to the drive-in <laughs> yeah i haven't been to the drive-in yet this year but last year my girlfriend and i this time we went and saw halloween one two and three at the drive-in
2: nice definitely
0: definitely um well i've never owned the object in question but you do practice the black arts mr zeneca
2: (laughs) i practice the black the gray the white the blue the green whatever
0: you know as long as it works (laughs) yeah uh, yeah yeah um do you do you own a witch's ladder
2: i have made them and i do have one that was actually used for my grandparents 50th
0: anniversary Awesome, uh, Jim. Do you do you own a, a witch's ladder?
1: No, I think the closest I've come is one of those uh, dreamcatcher things.
0: Okay. But uh, hey, here's a great question, Jim. What the hell happened to all the objects on the show when the show ended? Uh, they stayed in the vault. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's still on a Vancouver soundstage somewhere.
1: <laughs> uh, no, in Toronto. In Toronto. Um, no, it was really interesting because we were very. Uh, and and maybe it was a continuity thing that we did, but once an object went into the vault, it remained there uh, from then on. So if uh, you know whatever it was that was the cursed object, once we put it in the vault, the actual prop went into the vault and stayed there, and it might have even been stuck down so nobody could move it.
0: But true. But do you know where any of the stuff is now? Ad- to, 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 like, did you know where anything went after the show was canceled?
1: Um, what I remember, because this was the first show I was on that you know got canceled while we were shooting, um, is uh, about half a dozen people came up from Paramount, and I'm working in my office one day, and this guy comes in and he just starts slapping numbers on like the desk, the filing cabinet, the computer, and I said, "What is this?" And he said, "Well, this is for the auction.
0: Oh no I was
1: like, I'm still." Oh. Working. <laughs> Ouch. Oh <laughs> because, Jesus Christ so that's what happened to everything I think in the end um, a couple of people on the show who had favorites um, probably acquired them oh yeah uh, so and but, but you know I mean to be honest with you when you saw them up close they weren't that evil looking <laughs> you know they were kind of made out of plastic and covered with spray paint and whatnot, and all of that. But, uh,
0: what no, there, were two, yeah. there wonder... were two
1: or three. Yeah. I There were two or three that, um, I mean, I ended up with the head from The Headless Biker from Midnight Rider. Oh, neat. Uh, which was another episode that I wrote. And, um, <laughs> what happened to it was I was doing another show, um, for NBC called Secret Service. And the, uh, the guy in charge of, well, not in charge of the show, but our, our uh, Secret Service agent, who was our our kind of technical advisor on the show, kept telling me about, you know, all these horror stories of when the mob was after him and one thing and another, and uh, how packages would be delivered to the house that would freak his kids out and everything else, and it was coming up on Halloween, so I sent him the head, (laughs) which when he opened the FedEx package was like, he said his heart stopped for an instant, and then he realized what it was, but... uh, Yeah so that's where that one ended up. Or well that prop ended up. Um
0: stuff like that yeah. like all those objects or like uh if you've ever seen the movie um the the cab the cabin in the woods that was another sure. you know that had all those you know objects yeah. that could cause something to happen or whatever. I'm Always curious like yeah. where that stuff goes like you know maybe today like who has the possessed doll from the inheritance?
1: I don't know. I mean I, I do remember things like uh the 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 cursed ventriloquist doll, I think, ended up going to the actor that was involved with the show because he liked it so much. Uh, You know, I mean, things we had doubles of, we might gift somebody. Um, But I don't think it was ever a thing that that we... I mean, for us, and and certainly at that time, (laughs) when there was far less kind of um, interaction with fans about a show, I mean, they were just props. And um, they hadn't taken on the the kind of uh um, i don't know holy status that that a lot of things like that take on today
0: well, Jim, we really do appreciate you coming back on for the uh these two episodes, especially the episode that you happen to write um and uh we hope to have you on again in season three for friday our our final coverage of Friday the 13th of the series.
1: I would love to. I'd really enjoy this. It really is fun talking to you guys about all this stuff.
0: and it Thank brings you back so much.
1: An awful lot of memories of, of what went on.
2: It's been amazing having you, and we love talking with you.
0: Yeah, right. We'll, we'll definitely find what episodes in season three are the best ones to have you back on for, and we will for talk sure. to you very soon. Now were you now, just real quick, were you still story consultant through all of season three? Uh yeah okay cool yeah. awesome so it just it might not just be even an episode that you happen to write it could be just uh, something else in in rando but we'll make sure we get ahead of your schedule by a couple weeks for sure awesome that would be helpful cool thank you so much Jim
1: okay thank you and fun talking to you guys
0: Yep. thank you we'll send you the link to the episode once it's posted on uh, online terrific thank you. And if you're interested in the Dead TV podcast, don't forget, don't forget you can find us on Facebook at the Dead TV podcast. If you'd like to become a sustaining member on Patreon, look up Radio Horror. And you can reach us on Twitter at Chris And at Elegantly Kinky. Or if you want to send us an email, horror at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for the premiere of season three of Friday the 13th, the series. Thank right, you Jim. guys. Goodbye.
1: Thanks, bye, Jim. Bye. Jim. Bye bye.